Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Ray Drew. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. This conversation is going to be about SBA lending for small business owners. And uh, Ray's an expert in this category and, and is going to share with us his um, knowledge, his tips, his advice, and his experience related to SBA loans. So if you want to receive more information about the How Business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. So let me tell you a little bit more about Ray, and then we'll get into the conversation. Ray Drew has dedicated his entire professional career to helping small business owners navigate the intricacies of SBA borrowing. His job is to structure a customized loan solution that meets the unique needs of the business and guide you, the entrepreneur, through the entire process. He's currently Managing Business Development Officer at Fundex, one of the top SBA lenders in the country. You can learn all about SBA lending from Ray at his YouTube channel, and you can find that at SBA underscore Ray, R-A-Y, SBA underscore Ray. That's his YouTube channel. And by listening to his podcast, he's a podcaster as well. That podcast is called Story Loans. Ray lives uh, down I-95 from where I do in Florida in Delray Beach. So once again, Ray Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I thought we would start, Ray, with what I'm sure you get asked a million times a day, and that is to let, let's introduce the SBA 7A loan program, if you would. Sure. Yeah. So it's uh, essentially it's a subsidy that the federal government provides to banks to allow them to make um, loans to businesses that they wouldn't have otherwise made. So it's essentially a way to provide credit when conventional lending is not an option with more affordable terms. So it goes up to $5 million and it's essentially there for small businesses to start, grow, acquire other businesses um, to create jobs. It's a, it's really a job creation program at, at its heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, that's the base intent of it to help us as business owners start a business, grow a business, so that we create more jobs. Right? Exactly. I think one of the, as you touched on, one of the misconceptions I often um, help people clarify, but you're you know you're the expert. Is people think that money comes from the SBA directly that we're getting a loan from the SBA, but that's not exactly how it works, right? Yeah, no, SBA isn't funding these. Essentially, any bank or credit union can make an SBA 7A loan. Again, when we're talking about SBA 7A, because there's a lot of different programs and maybe you've gotten a few, right? PPP, EIDL, some of these ones that were more popular during the COVID period. The 7A has always been here for decades and it's really the flagship program. So when you talk about SBA loans, for the most part, people are talking about the 7A. And so any bank or credit union can make one. There's also 14 non-bank lenders that are licensed to make them as well. And each one's different. So it's actually uh, one of the other misconceptions that uh, are is around is like that this is a cookie cutter type of program. So right. really nothing could be farther from the truth, really, because every lender is designing their own program with their own... Uh, credit appetite, they structure it different ways, the processes are different. And so 
uh, each lender is responsible for designing their own program. And that's another one of the big misconceptions out there. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. You touched on it briefly, but tell me a little bit more about from your perspective, who should consider an SBA loan and then a little bit more about what I can use it for. Well, when we're talking about SBA, like eligibility is one of the main things we focus on as SBA lenders. So you have to be eligible and then you have to be qualified. So eligibility is kind of more black and white. The SBA will allow us to finance anyone who's eligible, um, things that are not eligible, you know, might include, you know, religious institutions or passive real estate investments or, you know, marijuana related businesses. Like these are things that are not eligible, but 99% of privately owned businesses are eligible and they're for companies of all different shapes and sizes, honestly. Um, you know, I financed hundred million dollar companies. These are not for just small businesses. Most folks are going to, um, be uh, eligible. Uh, it's just really the, the main thing that might disqualify you would be just liquidity. So, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're sitting on millions and millions and millions of cash in the bank, you might not be eligible, but if you have a $10 million business, I mean, I just sent an approval out for a business that's doing 3 million in revenue and it was for a business acquisition. And I just got a, an approval for a real estate purchase for a business doing 7 million in revenue. So these are big businesses using the SBA loan because they like the terms. Mm -hmm. They could, they might be able to get some other credit, but it wouldn't be with these more minimal equity injection requirements and the longer terms, basically the longer amortizations, which allow for that smaller monthly payment. Because a lot of these businesses are trying to position themselves up as we head into some of these economic headwinds, preserving their cash, improving their cash flow, things like that. So business the two things I just mentioned, business acquisitions and real estate, those are the two most popular uses of this program. Last year was 75% of the overall funding was for these change of ownership transactions. So like buying a business or buying out your partner and the real estate, buying a building to operate your business out of. And so I have to deduce it in my experience as well, Ray, that means that it is more challenging to get an SBA loan if I'm starting a business from scratch. And in particular, if I don't have the experience, not that you can't, not that it can't happen, but that's more challenging. Is that fair? And is that your experience? Yeah. Startup is a lot tougher. I mean, you know, smaller loans. Uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely doable. Um, franchise lending is very popular within SBA. So if you are starting a business and you want to start up a, you know, a franchise, something established, which, you know, franchises are going to run the gamut. Some are kind of brand new. Some are more established. Those more established ones with 25, 50, 100 units in their system, and you want to go and open one in your backyard, there's a lot actually of lending um, resources for that in the SBA world. But when you go and do an independent startup, it gets a little tougher. Yeah, you're going to need the direct industry experience at that point. Got it. But interesting point on the franchising. I've always understood that as well. Uh, you know, we're, we're generalizing here, obviously. But like you said, if the franchise is well established, has a good track record, has history, has the number of units that can help me, even if it's my first business and I'm right. building a brand new location of that franchise. 
Exactly. And and with SBA, I mean, you're going to need a minimum of 10% equity injection into something like that. So the SBA loan will finance everything to get that franchise open and to get it to ca- where it's cash flow positive. And then you're putting in 10% of that number. And then the SBA will finance up to 90% of the rest. Yeah, which is incredible, right? That That, as you touched on already, is one of the big advantages of an SBA loan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're definitely going to have less equity injection or down payment um, requirements. And then also the fact that you might not be fully secured with collateral to do that type of project, right? You're doing tenant improvements and you're buying equipment, but there's also like startup capital. And unless you own a bunch of real estate with equity, you're not going to have a fully secured loan. And most conventional lenders want a fully secured loan. So that's where the SBA comes in. Okay. All right. Going back to the, you know, we touched on franchises, buying an existing business. Are there other types of businesses that you see have a higher probability of getting an SBA loan? Well, I think the acquisitions in general are, I mean, money is just pouring out on the streets for these deals. These are business acquisitions. Uh, a lot of folks that I lent you didn't even know this was a thing until just a few years before they actually did it. So I do want to spend a good amount of this time focusing on this so everyone understands you can buy a small business that's existing. Uh, it's cash flow positive, And there's money that's available to borrow to buy it at, again, up to 90% financing, 10% down. And these businesses are being sold for pretty reasonable multiples Mm -hmm. and we're doing a lot. It's landscaping businesses, it's the trades, it's home service businesses, home healthcare, online e-commerce. It it just runs the gamut with what types of businesses. And these are just, these are your boring businesses, main street, some lower middle market deals. And again, it's like that one to $6 million kind of sweet spot. And that's where the SBA is financing a lot of stuff, or I should say rather SBA lenders. Right, right. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and obviously the obvious point there is that what any lender, whether here in the case of an SBA backed loan, what's appealing to the lender is that track record of cash flow positive existing business that has that track record to, to show. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, what it comes down to is debt service coverage. So we're looking at the last three years tax returns from the seller, their business, and current year-to-date financials if we're in the, you know, in the middle of a year. And what you're looking for is a certain level of cash flow to support the proposed debt. And that might be 1.3, it might be 1.5 times. I mean, based on the multiples that these are being acquired for, you know, it's actually pretty easy to achieve. So if you're looking for a 1.50 debt service coverage. Basically, what that means is for every dollar of cash, for every dollar of debt you're paying back, the company's producing a dollar fifty of cash flow. So a 1.5. Yeah. Uh, so what? So great. Thanks for sharing that. What else is the SBA or the lender looking for that you know I have to be prepared to show, or I'm not going to have a chance of getting approved? What What are the things? I mean, obviously, my personal creditworthiness comes into play, right? Yeah. I mean, before you even go out to the market to buy a business, you want to make sure you have your house in order. So for me, um, even though the majority of the underwriting is on that business that you're buying, uh, there's still a few things you need to have as a buyer. Uh, I boil it down to cash, credit, and experience. 
And so cash, you need at least 10% to put into the project and a little bit of post-close reserves, right? You don't want to put your entire life savings into this and have a zero in the bank when you close. So 10% plus some reserves. Credit, you know, good credit history, right? That's common sense. Um, 700 plus, you should be fine. Um, And then experience. So this is where, and again, every lender is different. Some lenders will want you, if you're buying a landscaping business, they will want you to have landscaping experience. If you work with the right types of lender for this type of project, that won't be the case. You're not always going to have direct industry experience, but you should have relevant experience, uh, experience in management, managing people, managing a budget, managing a P&L, and anything that's relevant to the business that you're buying. Because ultimately, you're going to want to buy a business that you can see yourself in working in every day because it's not a passive investment. You are working in the business, on the business, and it's got to be something you see yourself doing. And, and you ideally have some sort of adjacent skill or something that's going to, you know, if you're a sales, a, a sales uh, executive and you find a business that, you know, the seller is not doing, they are leaving some, uh, some, some money on the table because they're not selling. They're not out actively looking for new customers. That might be one of those situations where, wow, my skills will help bring that business forward. Um, and I'll be able to grow the business because of this low hanging fruit right there. So something that's going to be complementary to to the business that you're buying. Right. And, and so the other way that I've seen this addressed, if I don't have the experience is to bring somebody in partner with someone, I would assume that, you know, the SBA wants to see that person having an equity position, but is that a way that I can mitigate that lack of experience? You know, it, it's a really good point you bring up. And the big distinction there too is and the answer is yes, but so anyone who owns 20% or more of the business will have to personally guarantee the loan. Right. Okay. So if you're bringing in a partner and it's a 50-50 partner, that's two PGs, personal guarantees. And yeah, I mean, that that's fine. But sometimes you do it where they don't want to personally guarantee, but you need them tied to the business. I'll give you an example. We recently funded the acquisition of an HVAC business and the buyer came from private equity. And- to operate an HVAC business, you need a certain specialized license. Mm -hmm. And so the buyer gave the GM who had that license 5% equity stake in the business, and they were able to then qualify the business and have some pretty meaningful uh, equity for an employee to then have 5% equity in the company they helped build because they've been there. That ties them to the business, and it's a good way to mitigate that risk. Okay. Is it fair to say, though, that the SBA does not like uh, absentee ownership of a business? Oh, yeah. You've done your research. Um, <laughs> that is absolutely true. You know, nothing passive, nothing like, hey, I want to buy that business and hire someone to run it. Like, that's just not going to fly. You also see it where I'm going to I'm going to buy this business in New York, but I live in California Mm-hmm. that's tough too. I mean, there okay. are some situations where I'm buying an online business and you know there is no physical location. That's one thing, but yeah, no, they want you to be active and nearby the business. Yeah. There's also, you know, I got caught on this, a business that I was selling. So my buyer was getting SBA financing. Uh, it was a sweet salon business. And at kind of the 11th hour, the IRS, not the IRS, the SBA, this is my understanding. It's been a while change the rules and consider that a passive income type business and they wouldn't fund it anymore. (laughs) So that, that there are certain businesses that can fall in that category as well. Is that true? 
I, I remember that. Yeah, that was 2014, I believe. They came out and made that, that determination. Right? Yeah, that's and, about right, yeah. <laughs> yep. And yeah, so there are definitely businesses that are kind of on that fence. And that that one was actually a surprise to a lot of folks. Um, it was. Because, and it's, and I don't, have they, I'm curious, have they changed that or is that still the rule on salon suites? So that's still the rule, but like, Believe it or not, and this is my latest YouTube video. It's coming out, I think, today. Uh, I I mentioned five or six different businesses that are also real estate, and some of them you would think are a little bit passive, but the SBA right. allows it's interesting the financing, like self storage facilities, for example. Right. Yeah. Interesting. But there, I suppose maybe uh, there's a real estate component there, which they, any lender loves, right, because of the collateral component of that. Is that fair? Well, I will say that SBA lending is definitely rooted in banking and bankers love their collateral. So yeah, a lot of those uh, SBA lenders out there do love collateral. I'm actually a little different, honestly. I like cash flow. I believe cash flow is what repays the debt, not collateral. So I focus right. on cash flow. But yeah, certainly a lot of banks out there like that real estate. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Since we're talking about these kind of things, the, the typical terms and conditions, we've been talking about personal guarantee and collateral. And you've mentioned it. In my experience, Ray, and I've probably gotten... I know, let's say three probably SBA loans over the years for various businesses. I've never been able to get out of not personally guaranteeing it. Right. Yeah. You're and, always and furthermore, you're... some level of collateral depending on the size of the loan. Yeah. Well, the yeah, the personal guarantee for sure. The collateral guidelines are a little weird. Um, basically, if you have collateral, you have to pledge it. If you don't, you don't. So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of unfair, honestly, because I've, I've done acquisitions for five million dollars where there's zero collateral. They just didn't own a home. They sold it, or, and they're renting, and the business they're buying just didn't have any hard assets. And that's still a doable transaction for me. But I've done an acquisition for one million dollars where the buyer had actually thirty rental properties, and he had to pledge ten of them because what the SBA essentially says is. Uh, the buyer has to pledge all available collateral. And, and really what we're talking about is real estate with equity. And it's 25% or equity, 25% equity or more in the property. So if you have it, you have to pledge it until the loan's fully secured or you've pledged all available collateral, whichever comes first. And in that case, you know, he had the collateral. So he had to pledge it. If he didn't have any of the collateral, I would have still done it. Interesting. And and my understanding also is with with an SBA loan that guarantee and or collateral is for the life of the loan. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're pledging it, um, it's for the life of the loan. Now, it, sometimes things come up. I mean, most people have a house with equity when we're lending, so you're pledging your house on a lot of these deals. Right. Essentially, a second right. lien on your house. Yep. Um, and now, if you live in Texas, by the way, we can't do that on your house. So shout okay. out Texas. Yep. <laughs> Um, but something's going to come up because these loans are 10 years, assuming it's not for real estate. If it is for real estate, it's 25 years. But if it's a 10 year SBA loan, I mean, what if I sell my house, you know, at some point, you know, right. that's, that's normal. That's common. These are servicing actions that occur during the course of the SBA loan. So essentially, yeah, you are pledging it for the life of the loan, but that doesn't mean you can't sell it and transfer the lien to the other property or, you know, some, some other solution to try to keep the bank's collateral position um, similar. So there are options there. Got it. The thing is, I got to let my bank know, otherwise technically I could be in default, right? Yeah. I mean, if you read the fine print, there's a lot of stuff you're supposed to let us know uh, <laughs> for sure. This is Henry Lopez briefly pausing this episode 
to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Okay, uh, the cash portion, so up as much as 90%, uh, in my experience, I've, you know, I think I've done 70 and 80%, something in that range, but as much as 90%, that, that cash amount, can it be borrowed or gifted or does it have to be my cash that I have in the bank? So just to clarify, like these 10% equity injection requirements are only for startups and acquisitions. So if you're buying a building, for example, that 10% uh, injection is not actually a requirement. It's actually a myth that you need an an equity injection to buy your building. Um, So you may actually be able to buy that building without any money down because one, uh, you know, you have a business that you've been running for many years. You've built up equity in your balance sheet, and we can leverage that equity you've built to buy your business. So I've done a lot of these. I just did one a um, couple months ago in Michigan for a behavioral uh, therapy business, and they were renting in the building. They were they they were in a small part of a two story building. They grew into the space next door. You know, over the course of a couple of years, they they had the entire bottom floor, and they wanted to keep expanding. And the seller approached them to buy the building, and they did. They kept investing their money into the build out, so they didn't have a lot of liquidity. And the purchase price was like three point seven million or three point six million. So we financed one hundred percent, saying, "Hey, they already have equity. Like, I don't need them to put skin in the game. They've put these partners have put everything they have into the business. They have minimal debt. There's equity on their balance sheet. So, boom, one hundred percent financing for real estate. That's possible under the seven A program." And a lot of people don't know that. And I can answer your question about um, where can the funds come from on the startups and the acquisitions. So if you do need to put an equity injection in, the SBA is very specific on how they like to see that. Um, If you have the money sitting in the bank, great. Send us two months bank statements. We'll verify it. Season, good. Um, But a gift is also an option. Uh, SBA allows gifts. You get a gift letter. But then that gift door is going to provide two months bank statement. So we're still going to go back and look at the money from where it's coming from. Okay. Um, but to borrow it, um, the only the only thing you can do there is you can tap into your house okay. HELOC mm-hmm. for, for the equity only if there's a source of repayment for that HELOC debt outside of the business. So Got if you it. want to buy a business, that business can't pay that HELOC. You have to have like investment income or spouse with income that that's going to pay that HELOC back. And then that's when they allow it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, let's talk about rates. <laughs> Obviously, that's a hot topic now with, with Next. rates rising. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Next question. I'm sure you get asked that every day. Should I get a, get a loan? No. Should I wait? You know, that's the question. But but here's the, the easier part of the question for me. Um, most of these loans or all of these loans are fixed rate, correct? No, actually, the no. majority of 7A loans are variable rates. Oh, okay. And yeah, so. Quite clear on that. 
Yeah, I'm th there's fixed rate options. Uh, the way it works is most of the rates are tied to the Wall Street Journal Prime, which today right. is sitting at 7.5%. Um, the reason I didn't like the question is um, <laughs> because Prime has been like so low for so long. I mean, I've been doing right. this 11 years. Yeah. It's been when when interest rates are zero, that means Prime's 3.25% essentially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, loans we were making at Prime plus two at the start of last year, you know, in 2022. You know, started the last year, prime plus two is five and a quarter. Mm -hmm. Now prime plus two is nine and a half. So it's I mean, almost doubled really over like a nine month period. So it's kind of a shock to the system, but that's why they're doing it, I guess. Yeah, it's a sticker shock, but but what are your thoughts just generally speaking? I, I think that we got very spoiled, maybe is the right word, or unrealistic, an unrealistic expectation of what interest rates should be but what's your thought yeah i mean I, what yeah they're still relatively low if you really look back um but it's the shock of it going up so a couple things so the rate is going to be set by the lender uh every lender will do it a little bit different um it could be anywhere up to prime plus three uh, which is the maximum rate. So 10 and a half percent today. And it's variable. So if the rate goes up, uh, if prime goes up, if the Fed, you know, decides to raise rates again, then your rate will adjust the, at the start of the next calendar quarter. So um, you know, if you got a loan a year ago and, and you're in a variable rate and you started at six percent and now you're at ten and a half percent, you're kind of like, you know, that's that's not ideal because no. You might you you might have I mean even when we underwrote it we stress test the interest rate um, by three percent or two percent at the time so we said all right we're making this loan at six percent what happens if it's eight percent because we're conservative lenders and we just want to see well guess what it's now ten eleven percent and no one prepared for that so that hurts but if you go into it today and you say I'm going to buy this business I'm going to assume a ten percent rate. And if it goes up, it goes up. And if it goes down, we go down. We still stress test up. And it, you know, if the rates do come down, you'll you'll feel the benefit of that later on. But we have to kind of prepare for the worst. And so when we look at those numbers, they still look very healthy. Yeah. Because of the because you're buying a business for three to four times the annual earnings, you're still gonna have debt service coverage in that 1.5 to 2x range. Which, which gives you a lot of wiggle room. So if you're at a 1.8 debt service coverage and the rate goes up 1%, now you're at 1.7. But right. that's still a really good deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, And and again, the, the advantage of it being variable is I don't have that fear of, well, shoot, if I lock in now, now I'm stuck with that higher rate if they do go back down, right? That's the other thing too. I mean, if you could get a fixed rate a year ago, I'd say you're sure. you're probably... That was smart. But now, eh, I don't know. I mean, it's the highest I've ever seen it and locking it in right now. I, I'm not sure that I would. Right. Yeah, no, I would have to agree with you. Um, okay. Related to that, we talked about, you know, typically 10 years is what we're looking at for an existing business acquisition, right? 10 years is the term. Yeah. Yeah. Prepayment penalties. I know like a loan that we have now with the SBN, one of our businesses, I think it was in the first 24 months, if I'm remembering correctly. But tell me about that. Educate me on prepayment. So this is actually a standard thing. So this is going to be standard for any 70 loan. Uh, if the term is less than 15 years, so non-real estate, you know, startup franchise with no real estate, business acquisition, partner buyout, 
something like that, it's always going to be a 10-year term for the most part. Um, and those are not going to have any prepayment penalty. So that's a big plus, actually. Ah, okay. But if it ha- if it's a 15-year or or higher term, and the max term is 25, so your, your real estate transactions, transactions that are going to be 15 years or greater term, it'll have a three-year prepayment penalty. Okay. 5% year one, 3% year two, 1% year three, then it drops off. You can still prepay up to a quarter per year without a penalty. So it's really not too bad, honestly, compared to like no. conventional financing. It's it's actually much more advantageous to the borrower. Yeah, it, it's it's really not that that big. We we had a, a car wash business where we got caught in that situation with a, a, one unit that we had added recently within the two year window, I think it was, but it, it wasn't a big amount to your point. But I think that one, because it was real estate, I think it was a 15 year mm-hmm. loan at least. Okay. Yep. Thanks for clarifying that. Uh, you mentioned maximum is 5 million. What's the minimum loan amount? Well, there's no minimum. I mean, there's different lenders that are going to want to do different things. Like I personally um, do 750K to 5 million. I do I do kind of larger transactions. I, I focus on business acquisitions, partner buyouts, and real estate. So I don't do a lot of the smaller ones, but there are banks that do and their, their shops are more you know, set up to accommodate those in a more expedited fashion. So if you were going to get like a 350K loan, there are shops where that's what they do really well. And then there's actually 150K. Uh, that's like another sub program within the 7A. And that's done by a couple shops. And then even 50K, you know, some of the big banks will do programs like that. So it kind of just depends what you're looking for, but there's technically no minimum. Okay. Understood. Got it. Um, all right. Those are the questions I had there related to terms. Is there anything related to terms that I didn't ask you about that that I should have? I think we covered it. How about any other common mistakes, especially with the when people come to you and their preparedness or lack thereof? What, what are some of those common things that you say you got to go get this ready or you've got to get this in order? Uh, yeah, I mean, prepare preparedness i mean no one's ever prepared if it's your first time it's a it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty steep learning curve honestly right, i mean right. it's just it's more of a matter of working with the right team around you to to get through it because i mean just to look at a deal and try to figure it out i mean assuming you have a, an existing business and uh you know you want to i don't know let's say buy another business uh buy a competitor or something or buy a building whatever it is you have an existing business um you know having your uh, quickbooks up to date and so you can you know generate a Interim PL and balance sheet. Obviously, that's that's one of the first things I'm going to ask for. And then later on, a business plan and projections. Um, you know, no matter what it is, really, we want to see because now, you know, especially now during the these times of more economic uncertainty, like the past financials I'm looking at, I mean, I'm looking at financials that happen in a time totally different than what this year is going to look like. So having a, even if it's a short business plan, like something to kind of address some of those things is really helpful as well as the financial projections because every year, I mean, revenue goes up every year. Well, now I'm seeing, you know, last year businesses kind of uh, a lot of the ones I saw went down a little bit at the end and this year they might be projecting a a little bit of drop. So we kind of want to look at those projections a little bit closer now. Um, But I will say the main thing to think about when you go like the bit, like one of the biggest pitfalls I see lately, especially in these times where banks are changing up their credit box, their portfolio is a little bit in jeopardy because of like what I said, they made all these loans at 6% rates and now it's 10% and we don't know if the businesses can pay it back. 
navigating the loan process, really picking, choosing and vetting the right lender, like choosing the right lender and vetting them. Because on my other podcast, uh, story loans, like we have an ongoing segment called SBA horror stories. <laughs> and for the past decade, I've heard so many of these. That's why we did it. And it, and it often comes from a business owner finding a lender, whether it's their bank or someone who got introduced to them and they ask them for a loan and the lender puts out a term sheet and the business owner assumes, okay, well, this is on bank letterhead. This is going to happen, right? Yeah. So I'll sign it. Let's, let's go. And then six weeks later, it gets in front of a loan committee and they say, oh no, we, we don't do this. We don't do this industry or, oh, you need 10 more percent down or this or that. And then it leaves them scrambling. And I, I mean, I get a call like this every other week, honestly. So, so in an example like that, Ray, what what would that person have been able to do to have uh, figured that out or have foreseen that or identified that? Well, that's the question. And and, it, and it's questions that you have to ask your lender that no one ever asked me. People ask me, are you a preferred lender? I say, yeah. And then they move on. But guess what? Anyone could be a preferred lender and everyone is a preferred lender for the most part. It means nothing. It just means you can approve the loan in-house on behalf of the SBA you don't have to send it to the SBA for another approval, right. which if you're a new lender, you have to run your first like 10 loans through PL through uh, the SBA before you can get that preferred lender. But guess what? If you're, if you're loan number 11 at the bank, do you think they actually know what they're doing? Probably not. So, okay. How so many... experience and number of loans, is that something that I ask or something that, where do I get yes. that information? If you're, you have to ask if, if you're getting a business acquisition loan, how many business acquisitions have you done in the past year? How many of your loans, if you issue this proposal, how, what percentage of them actually get approved and what percentage of them get restructured at a later date? Like, is this the final structure or is there a chance this can change? Like asking those types of questions is going to help you because if if they start squirming or saying, well, you know, we ought to see and this and that, um, then you, you should run because you can't move forward with certainty if they're not certain. And the final approver is going to be either your chief credit officer or a committee within the bank. And the question I would ask is, have they even seen this? Are you putting this term sheet out yourself or have they seen this? Because if they haven't seen this, it opens, it leaves room for a little bit of change and potential decline. I think what, what you're speaking to in part, Ray, is that I think that most of us, certainly if we don't have any experience in this area, look at this process from a very intimidating position of I I'm lucky that the bank is even talking to me instead of me interviewing to some extent and asking these questions of potential lenders. So it's a, it's a shift in mindset, isn't it? Exactly. You it's, it, it's a two way street. How long typically does the process should I expect would take? Well, it's depending on, again, like with SBA, it goes down to the use of proceeds. That's where we start because never do we just hand over a million dollars. It's always for something. So if you're doing a business acquisition or a real estate purchase or a transaction like that, I normally will budget for 90 days and then shoot for 60. If your transaction has construction in it, like I want to build from the ground up, let's say, that's going to take a while because- sure. The, the construction process is going to be the driver of that timeline. And then if you're looking for a smaller loan, like 50,000 or 150,000 through one of those, you know, uh, micro lenders or whatever you want to call them, you know, under the SBA 7A program, yep. 
I hopefully they can go a little bit quicker. I know the small 50k ones should be like 30 days or less, but some of these uh, you know, 350k ones are still taking 60, 90 days depending on the shop's capacity. Okay, got it. So about 90k if, if we're not building something. Like if we're buying an existing business. Yeah, 60, 90. Nine, 60 to 90 days. Fair enough. All right. So um obviously you're with Fundex. So tell us a little bit about Fundex. So Fundex is one of those 14 non-bank lenders that I mentioned earlier in the episode. Um, being non-bank is nice. I've been at non-bank lenders for most of my career. I find like it's uh, uh, I'm able to add more value to the small business owner by being non-bank because I can be a little more flexible and and usually a lot quicker and more responsive. But uh, we came to market in 2020 because uh, we saw a void in the marketplace having to do with speed and urgency and just kind of like we wanted a no-nonsense approach to this. And a lot of the uh, legacy SBA lenders were just adding requirements on top of requirements and adding red tape because that's what happens with what we do. And we just wanted to kind of start fresh. And we, you know, went out and, you know, two months later, COVID hit. And uh, we ended up doing well that year. Um, We expanded the team. Uh, We were uh, actually the fastest growing SBA lender uh, that year. Um, most of the other lenders were kind of had to stop in their tracks with PPP and COVID and stuff. And we were just ramping up. So it was kind of a timing thing, but, um, I came on board at the end of that year and we're now at, uh, in the start of year four and, uh, you know, the team is about 40 something people and we're actually a wholly owned subsidiary of a larger company called BHG financial that's where we get our funding from and our, a lot of resources from from those folks. That's a much larger company with, you know, thousand plus employees. And they're actually also based here in South Florida. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. So you're based in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lend, yeah. Lend nationwide, but based down here. And if I want to learn more, where, where do I go online? You can go to fundexsolutions.com to check out our uh, the company. And then for you, your YouTube channel, which I mentioned in the bio again is. Yeah. SBA underscore Ray. I would definitely uh, ask that you check out the channel. We're putting out quality content every other week. Like a lot of this SBA stuff is not simple. And that's why I'm taking the time to break it down. Very specific niche episodes on different things, like how to fill out a personal financial statement, because I can tell you it's always wrong. And in that video, I break it down step by step. So follow, so, uh, you know, check it out and subscribe to the channel. So if I am thinking about buying a business or starting a business, and I, I believe I'm going to go the SBA loan route, where do, where do you usually recommend people start the process? So I'm dealing, I'm dealing with a lot of um, folks wanting to acquire business. Um, they are folks that might be in corporate America, might have been there for 10, 20 years, and they want to go out on their own and they want to buy a business, right? They don't want to start from scratch. They want to get into something that's existing. So they start looking at listings at night on biz by sell and other platforms like it. And at that point, they should probably start talking to someone like myself so that we can just make sure they're headed in the right direction go over those three things that we talked about earlier in the episode. And then we steer you in the right direction. And then I'm happy to work with folks. A lot of lenders will, some won't because they don't want to touch anything uh, until there's a deal on the table. But I honestly don't think that's the best approach because if you sign an LOI with a 
a, you know, a seller, uh, and you didn't structure it correctly, you know, and then the SBA looks at it and tells you that, then, well, you've already signed an LOI and now you got to go back to the seller. So it's not ideal. Right. So I would just start working with the lender, get, get your ducks in a row and then start looking for a deal. Uh, and that could take, honestly, that could take a year. I've seen it take two years. So <laughs> it's a, it's sometimes a long journey, but the yeah, payoff. You can't, you can't rush that. You got to look for the right thing and that could take some time. Right. And so it just depends on what you want to do. Um, but I would, it's never too early to start forming those relationships with lenders. Agreed. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. All right. I'm always looking for book recommendations. Ray, is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah. Buy Then Build um, by Walker Dybel. This is kind of the book uh, that talks about why it's smart to buy existing versus start from scratch. It's pretty much the go-to book for folks in this space, which we call entrepreneurship through acquisition ETA. And yeah, that's that's like pretty much the Bible. Buy then build. Yep. Excellent. Thanks for that recommendation. I've not read that, but I'll put it on my list. I appreciate that. All right. Yeah, we'll wrap absolutely. it up. What's uh what's one thing you want us to take away primarily from this conversation we've had about SBA loans? The, I, I would say, you know, to to me, like, because we're both podcasters, so I, I love the podcasting. Um, I love doing it. I love hearing the stories and talking to all the people. And when I talk to the folks I talk to, it's just amazing that every story is so different. Hmm. I talk to folks who come from nothing and work their way up and then bought a business I've talked to folks that grew up in an entrepreneurial family, and this is what they were going to do the whole time. And it just really runs the gamut. So I think just building awareness that this is out there is going to be something that's really beneficial because this is like the golden age right now for these business acquisitions. I mean, all these baby boomers are getting set to retire and it's something like an estimated of $7 trillion dollars worth of small businesses expected to be sold in the next, I think like seven or 10 years or something. I forget the stat. So I just want to get the awareness out there that something like that is possible because not everyone knows about it. A lot of the folks I've went to just stumbled upon it in recent years and now they're doing it and it's changing their lives. Yeah. There are tremendous opportunities out there, regardless of what interest rates may or may not be at to buy an existing business that gives you, in my experience, uh, a higher probability for success to continue with the business that has been cash flow positive. And there's the SBA program in particular can help us with acquiring those businesses. Oh yeah, absolutely. These are all being done SBA deals. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. SBA underscore Ray on YouTube. Excellent. We'll have a link to that on the show notes page for this episode as well at thehowabusiness.com. Ray, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today, sharing your knowledge. Uh, check out this YouTube channel, a lot of information there as I was preparing for this conversation. So, because I think a lot of this, Ray, is about educating ourselves as we're planning to become business owners. And that's the resource that you've provided there on that channel. So thanks for being with me today. A lot of education, but thank you for having me. I had a blast. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Ray Drew. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.